Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind the scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Here are my top three favorite things I love about Uberlube. Number one, Uberlube makes sex feel a lot more pleasurable. It's as simple yet as powerful as that. Number two, Uberlube is recommended by leading doctors and its body-friendly ingredient list is widely used by people with sensitivities to lubricants. And number three, Uberlube will not stain clothing or bedding. Any spills can be easily cleaned with detergent and water. Get your bottle of Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. What do I love about my Freya? The incredible razor and clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? Let me count the ways. I love that when I'm already in the shower getting clean, it's super easy for me to grab my Freya and give myself some serious lovin'. I love that I don't need to get out of bed, clean my toy, and get out of the mood. As soon as the mood strikes, my Freya is right there to play with. And I love the smooth, clean shave it gives. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, enter to buy one Freya, get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb now. We talk a lot about sex education, but when I'm shopping for products to support my sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, I head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with over 50 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media, at lionsdenadult on Instagram and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When you think about the words pleasure and power, what comes to mind? If you're a fan, you know my answer will always be the magic wand. As the world's first ever and best-selling massage wand, the magic wand's familiar shape and legendary power have made magic wand a cultural icon. Revered by millions, it transcends planes of culture and gender. Its impact is so great that Time Magazine included it on its list of the most influential gadgets of all time. Want to get in on the fun? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand. So you're ready to experiment with anal play, but you're not sure where to start. If I were you, I'd start with education and products by a company founded by a doctor who's an expert on anal sex. I'm talking about Future Method. Future Method develops science-backed products and doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Good morning, Steph. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Doing doing okay. Doing okay. Yeah, doing all right. Did you have a good, good, (laughs) it's Wednesday. Are you having a good week so far? So far, God, yeah, I feel like I'm living um, day to day. So yes, I think so. <laughs> I think well, it's time going okay. Tell. I'm alive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. The, that's the benchmark. So for sure. Okay. 
Okay, good good to hear. I'm so happy that you're here today. Um, I've been following your work for a little bit, and I'm really excited to learn more about what you do and hear all about your research and get into it. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us about your work and what you do. Sure. Hi, my name is Steph Harold. I am, uh, my the pronouns I use are she and her. And I'm a researcher at Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health, which is a research program out of the University of California at San Francisco, though I live in New York. And I study how abortion is depicted on television and film and what that tells us about, you know, broader understandings of abortion in our culture. So very relevant now, but also kind of always been relevant, right? The, the surprise that people um, don't often realize is that there's a really long history of abortion being depicted on television and film going back 100 years. So it's, you know, just really interesting to, to study and figure out, you know, what those messages were, what they are now, and, and how they relate to what's going on culturally and politically today. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, I'm, as I mentioned, very, very excited for this episode because I studied film and media and minored in education in college, and I have a oh, master's cool. in public health with you know, a focus in sexuality and reproductive health. So your work is completely at the intersection of the things that I'm <laughs> awesome. interested in. I actually went to my co-producer recently and was like, hey, we should do like a sex scenes thing where we talk Mm. all about like different famous sex scenes and how they're depicted. And of course, inevitably, right? How if it's a cisgendered hetero couple, it's always like moan, moan, the woman rolls over. Like that was her orgasm from intercourse. It's like hilarious, good one. Um, So, you know, all about the, the things that do and don't happen in those scenes. But as you mentioned, with abortion, I think like, people are paying attention to that in media now more than ever. And I do think that it's the kind of thing where, you know, millions and millions of people are watching these TV shows and these movies, and they do get more information sometimes from these scenes and messaging than they do from the news. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but is that like something that you think through and like think about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're totally right. Like a lot of one of the top sources of health information for people is TV, right? It's like doctors and families and TV. So it's really interesting that that's kind of persisted across the decades in the the health literacy research and in the media effects research. And especially now, right, when there's so many ways that we can watch TV, there's so many different platforms. It seems like there, you know, a dozen new shows that come out every hour. Right. There's so many ways to, to get this information and really interesting to try to figure out, you know, what are people learning? What are they retaining? How is it affecting them? Totally. Yeah. 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 So backing up a little bit, I am curious about how you even got into this work, right? Like let's let's go back actually to like middle school stuff or like <laughs> high school stuff. Like tell me what your sex ed was like growing up and and if that coincided with like making you so passionate about this work? Like, how did you get here? Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking about that and, you know, preparing for our our conversation. And I actually haven't done a lot of deep thinking about my sex ed experience. So I've been kind of like mining the depths and remembering. I went to public school in the DC suburbs. And I just remember, you know, I have like a couple of very vivid memories like in fifth grade, going to the library together and watching some kind of body changing video. 
Sure. Um, and then having them separate the girls and boys and talking about bodies. But I also remember a cop being there and talking to us about oh. drugs. Oh, so I feel like they must have combined dare, you know, the like yes. proven ineffective, you know, drug education right. and also sex ed. So in my mind, those conversations are very linked. Fair. Yeah. Um, wow. Scary. <laughs> Spooky. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I also remember a, a sex ed class in high school. And for some reason, I took it over the summer. Um, I don't remember why. It must have been some kind summer of summer school sex ed situation. That's cool. Yes. And I remember like the three main things I remember about that, that someone came to talk to us about STIs and like showed us those giant gross photos. Mm-hmm. I remember we watched a video of someone giving birth and it was very graphic. And I had an anxiety attack after that. And I was like, wow, I'm never having children. And which is, you know, probably the most effective form of birth control ever. That's true. Um, and then <laughs> scaring you into now, now not I giving have, birth. Yeah. So then now I do have two children. So oh, didn't, didn't work. work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I remember for some reason the teacher telling us about healthy foods and saying that the most healthy food in the world is sweet potatoes. So like those are oh my, my god, like, these are very STIs, specific memories. Yes, like SDI birth, sweet potato. Those are like my sex ed <laughs> memories. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, it's um, really weird. Wow. Okay, I totally hear you because I grew up on Long Island, so maybe it was like similar East Coast sex ed mm-hmm. vibes. I don't know. I received yes. this sex education in the early two thousands ish. Very much agree. Like big, scary pictures of STIs. Ooh, this Mm -hmm. is gross. This is disgusting. One specific memory of a a really good friend of mine named Danielle Dunn. She's married now, so she's Danielle Stewart. She was assigned crabs. We each got a different STI and she she was assigned crabs. And she, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she um, was very creative and very fun. And got like a trifold poster board and put like yarn, like black yarn as pubes all over it, and then like cut out little spiders and like wow, put them everywhere. Genius. I was Creative. like, wow, this is and I, whatever. That was like what twenty years ago, like, and I just still haven't forgotten it. Yes, which is very fun. But yes, wow, the cop situation is so yes. real and scary. Yeah. And yeah, like I feel like a lot of people, and similar to my experience too, where it was like STIs, drugs, and alcohol, biology. Yes. Those yes. were like it's the all, three. Yes. Everything is very scary. Definitely like associated with getting in trouble on multiple levels, maybe illegal, like all kinds of connections that they were making for us, implicit and explicit. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. And so paint the picture a little bit from your sex ed, that was very bad, clearly, <laughs> to where you wanted to become a researcher doing this work for, for media. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, in terms of the the landscape of sex ed in the US, I think mine was probably better than most. Like mm-hmm. it definitely wasn't abstinence only, but I also realized that I never learned anything about periods. Like, so I, I was really left to like fend for myself and asking friends about, you know, what happens when you get your period, which seems really basic. Like you really should be telling teenagers about that because that's imminent, inevitable. Right. Um, I just remember talking about it with with friends and getting information from them. Um, And I think that was kind of a, one of the moments for me where I was like, oh, there's a lot of shame and silence around this thing that happens to people's bodies all the time. And really what, what saved me was this like person to person information sharing. 
So I think that kind of conscious self-consciousness and, and consciousness raising kind of both, you know, feeling ashamed and also wanting to make, uh, make it so that no one else felt ashamed kind of stayed with me as I was growing up. And in college, I worked at an abortion fund and then graduated and worked in abortion clinics and abortion advocacy. Um, and what really connected all of my work was wanting to understand, you know, how people called or showed up to the clinic with all of these, you know, cultural myths about abortion, right? That it was unsafe, that it was going to make them infertile, that it was dangerous, you know, when really like abortion is very safe, doesn't impact your fertility. Um, it's, you know, something that happens all the time every day. And I really wanted to understand, like, one, where do people get these ideas? And two, like, they must be so brave to show up at the clinic to have an abortion when they think it's going to ruin their lives. Totally. So I, I really wanted to understand that. So I went to school for public health, similar to you. And I really thought I was going to do advocacy work. But I just kind of fell in love with research. Like I started, I'm a big nerd. So I was like starting to read lots of studies for fun and try to understand, you know, the methods and why use this, why use a survey instead of a focus group. And I was like, oh, this is a really interesting way to understand different phenomenon and, and connect them to each other. So, you know, I've just been really working to understand abortion stigma, cultural representations of abortion, because, you know, so many people get their information from pop culture. Totally. Right. Like a lot of us, you know, pay very close attention to politics, but most people don't. So a lot of what we learn about sex, about abortion, about pregnancy and birth is from what we watch. And if we're lucky, like what we hear from our friends and family. So it seemed really important to me to, to get a better understanding of that. You're speaking my language. I feel like I'm like <laughs> in my synagogue or like I don't go to synagogue, but like I feel like I was going to say church, but I'm Jewish. So that doesn't yeah, make yeah. sense. But yes, just yes, like I, I feel like I completely agree with every single thing that you're saying. Also, just I relate to the idea that, you know, people are not going to deep dive into the research like people who are studying it. Right. Right. And so they need that translated information that's easy. You know, people have very busy lives. They're taking care of their families. They're working. They are, right. you know, fighting for their dollar basically in order to survive many families. And they don't have the capacity to be able to do that research and translate that. And so it's like the responsibility of people who are creating these pieces of media to depict abortion and other aspects of sexual health accurately. However, that is not as we know, always the case. Right. So right, yeah, right. completely am aligned with you. Let's get into your Twitter thread because uh, <laughs> you recently had a Twitter thread go viral about the depiction of abortion in the new Marilyn Monroe movie, Blonde. And I personally, yes. I haven't seen that movie yet. So like, I can't speak to it, but I completely- Don't watch it. That's what your tweet said. <laughs> was like, just don't do it. So I was like, oh, it's I guess I just it. won't do it. I wasn't really inter interested in it anyway. And then I saw your thread and was like, oh, then I definitely don't want to watch it. But give us like a mini TED talk about your Twitter thread and what you talk about. And listeners, there are spoilers ahead. So fast forward this part if you don't uh, want to hear this. Yeah, so I, um, <laughs> I'll start from the top, I guess. Um, Blonde is this Netflix movie. It's a work of fiction based on a novel, I think called Bombshell by um, Joyce Carol Oates. And the coverage of the movie has referred to it multiple times as a, you know, a biography of Marilyn Monroe, but it's not, right? It's loosely based on her life, but takes many liberties. Um, and I'm not a scholar on, on Marilyn Monroe's life by any means. 
But, you know, even somebody who's casually watching this can infer that the movie just treats her really terribly and just paints her as this one dimensional, you know, fragile victim with no agency and no power in her life who, you know, repeatedly gets exploited by men at every turn. You know, and we know that, you know, that was probably part of her life, part of any woman's life who was, you know, Mm. a big player in Hollywood, right, in the 40s and 50s. But there's no sense from this film at all that the person behind the camera cares about her humanity, which really, you know, struck me most about the abortion scenes, right? We don't know if she had abortions or not, but the, the director chose to, you know, portray her as having two abortions and a miscarriage. The most striking thing to me was they completely personified this fetus, right? They have, it takes up the whole screen, like a CGI image of an, of a, you know, maybe near full term developed fetus when Marilyn isn't actually, isn't even showing. Um, Yeah. Right. Which is in in and of itself absurd. Yes. Um, And she has conversations with it and the fetus chastises her for having an abortion. Um, Yes. It's absurd. Asks if Marilyn is going to harm that fetus like she harmed the previous fetus. And it just like completely infantilizes the Marilyn character it's totally bizarre. It makes her look out of her mind, which I think is the point. And after this really bizarre conversation scene, Marilyn has a miscarriage of this wanted pregnancy, which makes it very clear, like, the miscarriage is punishment for her prior abortion. She bleeds, like, out of her stomach, which is not where a miscarriage oh, happens. What the fuck? Yeah, it's really weird and, like, disturbing and not in a way where you're like, wow, I can see what they're doing here, but in a way where you're like, what the fuck? Like, this is yeah. a cho- certainly a choice. Right. Yeah. And in the, the two scenes of her abortions, the camera really bizarrely has this shot inside her vaginal canal. So we see her cervix. Oh. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's not done in this way that you're like, oh, the director is trying to get us to feel like we're violating Marilyn too. Like, I understand. It's like, we you just feel... Um, just like repulsed by the decision to exploit the character in this way. So just really, you know, correlates abortion with murder. Abortion providers is not listening to their patients because Marilyn in the, in her first abortion is saying over and over again that she changed her mind, that she doesn't want to have an abortion, but the doctors don't listen. They like force her to have one. Yes. Yes. Characterizes abortion patients as hysterical. Um, It just feels you know, irresponsible, unimaginative, just bad storytelling. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, gross. So, yeah, yeah, it sounds like not just one mistake, but many. Um, Yes. Well, not even mistakes, choices, right? Like this was a multi-million dollar film and they were very careful. On Netflix. On Netflix, nonetheless. Right. Especially like in our time of Roe v. Wade being overturned, we as public health people know abortion has been inaccessible for many people for many, many decades. This is not the time to be careless with the way in which abortions are depicted in multi-million dollar movies. Uh, It is never the time, but it is specifically not the time now. Yes. That's so repulsive. I mean, so you made that Twitter thread. What What was the response to the Twitter thread that you created? I was pretty shocked that it went viral, honestly, maybe because I tweeted it right around, I think on the day or the next day after the movie came out. So there was a lot of buzz about it. But I think people were just really, some people were really like, yes, this was really horrible. And others were saying like, well, this is a work of fiction. 
Um, why does it matter the way these are portrayed? Of course, it's not going to be accurate. Um, and others were saying, like, well, this is this is accurate because Marilyn was exploited. So it's really mixed. What to me really stood out is like there's a kind of a, a lack of understanding about the cultural weight of these kinds of depictions, right? Like this mm-hmm. isn't an indie movie that no one's seeing in a little theater in one town. Right. Right. This is a, a big Hollywood production on a platform with millions and millions of viewers where people are going to watch. I mean, luckily, this movie is almost three hours long. And like, who is going to sit through this three hour terrible movie? Yeah. Um, and it's not like terrible fun. It's not like a fun watch. Right. Grueling. It's terrible. Like, wow, who edited this? There's yeah. like the sound is bad. The color is like, you know. It, oh, God. Just it's yeah, altogether. It's just not altogether bad. unpleasant. And it made me feel a little comforted, like it's been kind of widely critiqued across all different media platforms. Okay. Like the reviews are pretty scathing. So I felt like, okay, I'm not crazy here. Like I, this is definitely. And you study this, of course. Like you have, you have an entire, we're going to get into this, but you have an entire database where you have been, you know, doing this research and you are able to accurately compare, right? Like this scene or this entire movie and all the bad scenes that happen in it to other films and TV shows that have done a better job at portraying abortion and giving more like dignity and humanity to the people who have them. So yeah, you're in the perfect position to be critiquing it uh, and have, have so much to say. Actually, I wanted to put you on the spot a little bit. If there was... A movie that you have seen, I don't know, that has come out in the last 10 years, let's say, that does what Blonde was trying to do, but does it mm. way better in, in the sense mm. that the main character maybe was like exploited, maybe, you know, that that was part of their story, but maybe the director or whoever, you know, is running the show there did it with more grace and like more accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. One that comes to mind that's actually coming out this week is called Jane. Um, it's this new movie with Elizabeth Banks in it. It's all about the Jane Collective. So the, the group of women in Chicago in you know pre-Roe era who um, help people get safe illegal abortions and then eventually taught themselves how to provide those abortions. And the main character, I think her name is Joy, isn't quite as exploited as, you know, and discriminated against in the same way that Marilyn Monroe likely was, right, as like a public figure in Hollywood. But we do see the way that sexism kind of embeds itself in every area of Joy's life from, you know, her being afraid to go to the bank and cash a check for her abortion because they're worried they're going to call her husband to make sure it's okay. Things like that, um, where you're like, oh, this is, you know, very different time. Even though things are pretty horrible now, we can go to the bank by ourselves mostly. Yes. Um, we can take out so, credit cards, whatever, yes. get loans, all the things. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that that movie did an excellent job, I thought, of setting the, the time period and the tone for us to see, you know, what exactly it is that this character is facing um, without making her seem like you know, the the director really had it out for her. Like, that's what it really seemed like in Blonde. Like, the director really hated Marilyn Monroe Mm. and wanted to uh, kind of show that to the world.
A premium razor and a clitoral vibrator in one discreet product? What? Why hasn't that been thought of before? Well, Freya did. So you've had a long day and all you want to do is take a flight to Pleasure Town, but ugh, you have to shave before a busy day tomorrow. The game plan? Get an amazing shave with Freya's premium razor filled with aloe and vitamin E shave soap. You can subscribe to Replaceable Blades for just $9.99 for a four-pack. And then, okay, ready for this? Remove the razor head, hang it on the wall holder, click the power button, and use the handle as a clitoral vibrator. Freya just put the genius in G-Spot. Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya now. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexheadwithdb now. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being, and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Let's play a little fill-in-the-blank game where you have to guess what goes in the blank. Cosmopolitan Magazine called the blank the little black dress of vibrators, and Time Magazine named the blank among the top 10 most influential gadgets of all time. Even at 50 years old, the blank is still turning heads as the most recommended and best-selling massage wand in America. Any guesses? The answer is the magic wand. It's loved by millions for a reason. It's powerful and hits all the right pleasure points. Want to see what all the fuss is about? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand rechargeable. Let's talk about a lube I absolutely love, Uberlube. Uberlube makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Whether you're using it for solo sex, sex with a partner, or both, Uberlube has a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients, is scent and color-free, dissipates when no longer needed so there's no sticky residue, and is recommended by leading doctors. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Let's talk about butt acne. Not what you expected me to say, huh? Well, we're here now, so let's get into it. I personally struggle with butt acne, and it really brings down my self-confidence sometimes. One thing that has really helped me is the butt and body scrub by Future Method. Future Method is science-backed and doctor-led, so I know I can trust them. Their quick and gentle exfoliating booty scrub cleanser is great to use on your body and between your butt cheeks. Its doctor-approved ingredients are infused with a refreshing and invigorating hit of citrus, clove, and cedar to soften, smooth, and tone your skin. Get yours now at futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at checkout. Okay, let's get into this database that I mentioned that maybe our listeners haven't heard of, but 
Also, is it answer? Do you guys call it the, it answer? Okay. So talk to me about answers abortion on screen database. Like who runs it? What is its purpose? What is it? Yeah. So my colleague, um, Dr. Gretchen Sisson and I run it together and we use it to track depictions of abortion in scripted TV and film uh, available to U.S. audiences over time. So if you go to abortiononscreen.org, it will automatically come up and you can search by TV or film. You can search by year. You can search by genre. You can also type in keywords like medication abortion to see what comes up. And a show or movie is eligible to be put in the database by one of us. Um, if the character actually has an abortion. Um, So whether we see it in the plot line or if they talk about it um, as something they did before. And we also publish reports every year that specifically analyze abortion depictions from that year, right? And in those reports, we include characters who, you know, talk about abortion or consider an abortion, but didn't ultimately get one. So on top of that, right, we're also academics. So we study how abortion is depicted on TV and in film and and publish studies on it. So we kind of do, you know, all of these three things at the same time. Yeah. And how do you find all of these depictions of media? Is it a lot of, you know, Googling research, looking at news, like trying to, looking at Twitter, like what, cause you can't be everywhere at once, right? Like there's a lot yes. of content out there these days. Yes. 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 So yes. How, how do you find these? Yeah, well, Gretchen has been doing this for 10 years, and I've been doing it, I think, for five. So by now, a lot of people will text us or email us if they see something. It's like okay. a see something, say something situation. Team effort. Yes. We also have a lot of Google alerts set up. I also do like weekly searches on IMDb for different keywords like abortion or abortion clinic or even pregnancy. So I can you know, kind of track like, okay, is, is there a pregnancy time you know, plot line I don't know about that I want to make sure I follow to see if they even talk about abortion? And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of Twitter searching, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, well, there are a lot of websites that do recaps. So I do a lot of searching on those also to see if there's any pregnancy or abortion related things that I've missed. But I also know that it's impossible, right, for me to get every single one. So of I try course. to get and find as many as I can and hope that that gives me a general picture of the themes and of what's going on in that Hopefully, you know, if if a couple fall through the cracks, they wouldn't make or break the themes in the content analysis. Right, right, right. That yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's let's get into the deets. I want to hear from your <laughs> you're the expert, obviously. You've you've done this hundreds of times um, in terms of analyzing and categorizing, you know, all of these depictions that have happened. And for me, like what as like a media person, right? Like I my ears perk up when I see something like that happen on TV or film, but it's different when you have an entire database to compare, (laughs) right? Like you're in your mind, I'm sure you're like kind of cataloging like, oh, like where does this exactly fit in and what are the repercussions of this and all of these things? And so I want to know for you, like what are the best, most accurate depictions of abortion that you've come across on screen? And then you know, on the other hand, and maybe we want to start with this one actually, because bad first, what are the worst, sure. most egregious depictions of abortion that you've seen? And like, give me the why on those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think blonde really hits on a lot of the worst tropes, like portraying abortion as dangerous, as exploitative, abortion providers as bad doctors, um, abortion as something that haunts you, that you're punished for for the rest of your life. Those are really some pretty strong anti-abortion tropes that we usually just see in anti-abortion films, right? right? There are many anti-abortion films that capitalize on those tropes. 
um, we don't anymore see those as often, as frequently in more mainstream films and TV shows. Though I will say Law and Order kind of continuously shows up as having really terrible <laughs> content related to medication abortion in particular. Okay. Right. It seems like every episode they do where there's a medication abortion plotline, someone was forced to take abortion pills. It was like ground up in their drink. Oh, and gosh. then they end up like bleeding out on the sidewalk. Oh. And then their talk screen in the ER shows Miffy and Mizo. Oh, so it's God. like a bunch of misinformation there, right? First, it's like, very few abortions are actually coerced, but okay, it happens, and this is a law and order show, so I guess sure. you have to make drama somehow. But then to have the person bleeding out on the sidewalk, like that is reinforcing this inaccurate and frankly dangerous idea that medication abortion is, is unsafe and will cause you to bleed so much and that you'll pass out on the sidewalk. Like, I don't. It's like, that's not no, happening. No. And then when they say that the person is in the ER and the abortion pills show up on their talk screen, I mean, that we over and over again, doctors tell us that those drugs don't show up when you take blood, right? That will not happen. Right, right. So it's like this trifecta of dangerous information, especially now, right, when people are self-managing their abortions with pills at home and trying to figure out, you know, do I need to go to the ER? Is it safe for me to go? If they see like, oh, this will show up in my blood work, like maybe I shouldn't go, that is terrible, right? It's like this misinformation. And what we really should be showing, like what they need to be showing is people getting criminalized, right? So people know like, oh, this is what will happen. Like if I disclose to a provider, they may share something with the cops and that's what I don't want to see. That's what I don't want to happen, right? Like we need to show medication abortion as safe medically legally risky right mm. so like do they not me, consult experts that. like what's going on there no no why as not? far as i know like why <laughs> wouldn't they well i think some shows really do and some have actually reached out to gretchen and i to, oh okay which is awesome um to have us talk to them about you know what we'd like to see or connect them to abortion providers so they can talk to them cool but i think a lot of shows are really run by really like old cis white men who like think they know everything there is to know about abortion and want to kind of do this ripped from the headlines thing in a way that doesn't actually comport with people's real life experience and doesn't actually give people the information they need. It's not only ugly in its depiction, but like it's actively causing harm. Like when you right. are refusing to get an expert's opinion on something that you actually do need an expert's opinion on when it comes to depicting a medical situation, right. you are choosing to allow viewers to have their cop moment that you had when you were in sex right. ed, which is like, right. this is actively scaring people and it's incorrect right. information. Like right. it doesn't. And like you said, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, if legally they would want to depict this as risky, that is what's happening to right. poor people, low-income people, people of color, Black, Indigenous people. Like, that is a more accurate, if you, if the, law and order, show that, if that's what yes. you want to show right. compared right. to a woman or a person with a uterus dying in the street due to- right. A medication right, abortion, right. which we know that is statistically safer than taking Tylenol. Like that, right. it doesn't make any sense. Like why would right. you not? And, and it's, it's just careless in my opinion. Yes. Yes. Absolutely agree. And like there's, 
there's this twin thing I want to say, which is like we as a as a field, reproductive health rights and justice folks in general have kind of underplayed the physicality of medication abortion, right? Like a lot of when I worked at an abortion clinic, we were trained to say like, oh, it's like a really bad period. Um, and for a lot of people, it's not. It's actually more like a miscarriage, right? It like may take a couple of days. It is a lot of bleeding. But the antidote to that is to share accurate information, right? It's not to depict someone um, bleeding out on the sidewalk, right? So I think that that's part of what's really frustrating to me. And also knowing that, you know, people retain some of this health information that they kind of absorb from TV. Like we did a study with some researchers at Northwestern trying to understand what people took away from a Grey's Anatomy plotline about self-managed abortion, right? And people's knowledge about medication abortion increased significantly after watching that episode. And we guess that it's because there's a doctor, provider, character who says very um, directly to the patient, like you take this mifepristone here in the clinic, here are the other four pills, you'll take those at home, that's when you'll expel the pregnancy. Like it's very clear information. So it makes me really wonder, like, what are people taking away from these law and order episodes? Are they taking away that abortion is unsafe, that medication abortion is unsafe, uh, that there's that no way to do it, it on drink. their own? Right, exactly. Like, what what is the message here? Totally. Would you say that Grey's Anatomy scene and and maybe others that you want to talk about were like better or the best depictions of abortion? I think Grey's Anatomy actually had a recent episode just last week. Um, I think they're going to focus really heavily on abortion this season based on this last episode. Was it called um, Sex Ed? My mom told me about something, a Sex Ed Grey's Anatomy episode. I think it's called Let's Talk About Sex. I feel like every Sex Ed episode is called that. Right, right, right. (laughs) Uh, But it was all about the, the residents making sex ed videos. Okay. And they talked about, you know, the Dobbs decision and Roe being overturned and they want to share, you know, sex ed information. And they have a character get a medication abortion in the episode. And it was a similar, like, you know, the provider telling her directly, like, here's the nifepristone, that'll end the pregnancy. You'll take these four mesoprostol at home. So that I thought was really great TV. On the other hand, like the character that they had get the medication abortion was this young white teen. And across the board, the characters on TV who have abortions are younger, whiter, wealthier than any of their real life counterparts, right? So there's this representation problem that we have, even in shows like Grey's Anatomy, right, that try to do a very intentional job of um, including and incorporating casts of color across the different seasons, right? And they really do not show, I mean, obviously they're in Seattle, right? So like, there aren't a lot of barriers to abortion access there. But often in TV, we don't see people contending with barriers to abortion access. Usually if they want an abortion, they can get it, which is really not reflective of our reality, especially now. So I'll be very curious to see, you know, if in the next coming seasons of TV, if, you know, content creators kind of play with that, right? And, And try to show more of what's going on. Totally. Are there any movies that you have seen or that come out for you right now in your mind that are super good when it comes to depicting either like the, you know, discussion of abortion, the act of abortion, the aftermath? Yeah, there are a couple, actually three that came out or maybe four even that came out in 2020, like right at the start of the pandemic, there was like a flurry of abortion movies. There's Unpregnant, there's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, um, St. Francis and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've only seen Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, and I really loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. 
Yes. So that one and Unpregnant both look the same on paper. They're about like teens in states where abortion is hard to get, doing this like road trip to get an abortion. Um, but Unpregnant is this, you know, hilarious comedy and never really, sometimes always is this very intense, very beautiful drama, right? Almost like a thriller type mm-hmm. um, drama. So I thought those did a really good job of exploring both like, you know, for Unpregnant that abortion access journeys can bring people closer together, right? It's about these friends that end up, you know, reuniting as a result of one of the meeting in abortion. And it's a lot about, you know, love and friendship and compassion and all, all the hilarious things that ensue on a road trip, right? It just happens to be an abortion road trip. And then, you know, Never Rarely also does a great job in exploring, you know, like the desperation and determination of someone who really wants an abortion, right? And like stealing money, um, having to take the bus, having to stay up all night because you can't afford a place to stay. So I thought those films did a really good job exploring and exposing some of the, the grim realities of abortion access, whether through drama or through comedy. Yeah, I was just, I just remembered all the feelings that came up for me when I was watching Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. And mm-hmm. it really is heartbreaking that like so many teens experience this, especially now in so mm-hmm. many states where they don't have their family's support, they don't have access, they're scared and they're against the clock, right? Like it's like, right. how quickly right. can I get this access? Like how am I going right. to be able to skip school, have support, you know, pay for it. Like oftentimes depending on, you know, the state abortion pills. And that's like only if you're like before 11 weeks, right. Or, or 12 weeks depending. And in reality, they can cost anywhere from like 50 to like $600, depending on if you're paying out of pocket, if you have insurance, what facility you're using, if there's a sliding scale option, and my heart just like really genuinely breaks for y- especially young people who are super vulnerable, who don't really have like their needs met when it comes to their reproductive freedom. Right, right. Absolutely. And I think these movies really do a good job of telling the stories of those teens. And what, what I wish we saw, you know, there's this like disproportionate media attention on teens who have, you know, really important abortion access stories to tell. I just wish we had the same amount of attention on moms who need abortions and poor people who need abortions and women of color who need abortions. Like these are two movies about white teens, which, you know, again, important stories to tell, but not the only stories we should be telling. Completely, completely agreed. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about any specific trends of these accurate depictions of abortion on screen, like if they're happening mostly in dramas or comedies or, you know, centering a certain kind of character, like what are the trends of like the best of the best, right? The top 10, like what do they have in common? What's most interesting to me now, like what's happening on TV this fall is just seeing the showrunners, producers, and writers tackling this post-row environment. Right. So just, you know, in the last month, there were two um, ripped from the headlines episodes that uh, had plot lines about characters who now live in states where abortion isn't legal anymore or is severely restricted. There was actually a law and order, not SBU, just like regular law and order, about a a teen from Texas who's the daughter of the anti-abortion governor traveling to New York for an abortion. Um, And it was the first time, to my knowledge, that an abortion fund was pretty predominantly 
featured in a plot line, right? There was actually like a person with a character with a name from an abortion fund, um, a made up abortion fund, but still, who was like a, a witness. Uh, and there was also a show, FBI Most Wanted, that had an episode about a patient traveling from Tennessee to Georgia to have an abortion. Wow, a lot of legal shows. What's going on? Yes. I think because they film, this is my like back of the envelope knowledge about TV production, but my guess is because they have a shorter timeline from script writing to filming. Oh, right? so it's, it's not like quicker like, output. Yes. Got it. That right. makes sense. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. So yeah, so it sounds like the the ones in your mind that are like depicting them accurately or like including the things that you would want them to include, it's kind of like maybe, you know, as you say, ripped from the headlines, more recent, mm-hmm. like on the money basically of what people yes. are actually dealing with and talking about. Yes. So I'm I'm curious to see how shows that that are given a little more time and allowed to explore more complexity where it isn't just this legal drama or cop drama, what they will do with this moment. I think that there's real um, energy. You know, there's a group of showrunners and writers that, who are organizing around this, right? And like pressuring their studios to protect their staff who film in states where abortion is restricted. I'm curious how that will show up in what they're making now. Right. I mean, unfortunately, in both of those shows that I named, right, the characters seeking abortions are either homicidal or they are killed, right? They're like dead white women at the end of the show. So, you know, at the same, on the one hand, the shows are really highlighting, you know, the post-road desperation and it, where people are really, you know, needing and seeking abortion care in this hostile environment. On the other hand, they are perpetuating some really unfortunate, you know, and very annoying to me stereotypes. Totally. Yeah. Okay. We have this, this has been fantastic. You can come back anytime that you want to talk about this because I, I just love talking about media and just the way in which we interact with it and what we learn from it. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. So yeah. Fun. We have a couple more questions here. I'm curious about like the most surprising learning from this research for this abortion on-screen database? And like, how do we use these learnings to make future depictions in art and the media better, more accurate, more normalized? Yeah, good question. I think to me, one study that I'm, I'm wrapping up now is doing interviews with 46 different Hollywood professionals. So showrunners, writers, producers, editors, story executives, all of those kind of titles. Um, to understand why they included abortion in their shows and, and what they were trying to get across and, you know, what if there were any barriers, you know, to getting abortion on, on their shows and what they were and how they navigated them. And one like non-serious thing that really surprised me was how little TV people who work in TV watch. Mm. I was like, wow, you've never heard of any other show that's done abortion before? Uh, there are 500 of them. Like you've never heard of any, you've never none come to the top of your mind. Whoa. And then I realized like, oh, this is my nerdy area of expertise. Like, of course (laughs) I can name these shows, but I don't, you know, TV is work for them, right? Um, In a different way than it is for me. So of course they don't spend a lot of time, you know, so that was really interesting. But more on, on the topic of the paper we're working on was just hearing about, you know, there are some studios that are really really push back when people have, you know, want to put abortion on screen and will say like, this character needs to suffer a little more because of this decision. Uh, um, or, or like, oh, you actually can't show blood. We actually don't want to show any of that at all. 
So hearing some of the things that writers have to push for was really interesting. And on, on the other hand, also hearing that some studios are really supportive, you know, and do want to have these plot lines on their shows um, was really interesting to me. Yeah. So it sounds like in terms of like how to use this information, it sounds like there needs to be more advocates in the room for yes. accurate depictions of abortion yes. and or advocates who are going to say, hey, I don't know the answer, but like I'm going to go literally take five minutes to Google, like who knows the answer to these things yes. and yes. call them up for an hour long consultation. Like it sounds like that is the way forward. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, I also think, you know, one thing that people can do is when you see an abortion depiction on TV that doesn't seem right to you, like tweet about it, talk about it, write email about it, right? Like it turns out that a lot of these people are scrolling through their timelines through the hashtags of their shows to see what audience members are saying. Like some of them purposefully avoid that forum, but I guarantee you someone from the show is looking up audience engagement to see what people are saying, right? So if something doesn't seem right to you, like talk about it, they're going to see it. Oh, this has been so wonderful. As I mentioned, I have one more question. I just want to know, you know, it sounds like you're working on this big study, but other than that, you know, like what's next for you? Where can our listeners find and follow you, especially to read your amazing viral Twitter thread and the other wonderful things that you have to say? Oh, thanks. That's really kind of you. Um, we're working on a bunch of other studies now too, trying to understand what audiences take away from the from abortion plot lines they watch. There's kind of this um I don't know, like colloquial kind of understanding, like, oh, yes, when you see something on TV, it impacts your views and your attitudes and maybe even how you vote. Um, but we're actually not really sure about that when it comes to abortion plot lines. So I'm working with some of my other colleagues who have much more quantitative expertise than me to do some you know, analysis, trying to understand that and piece that apart. And where you know people can find our work on abortiononscreen.org, that leads to our database, but there's also a link to all of our studies um, there too, where we explore, you know, the, the demographics of who has abortions on TV versus real life, how race plays out in abortion storytelling on TV, how barriers are and are not depicted, how surgical and medication abortions are and are not depicted, all of that. And people can follow me on Twitter, I guess, is probably the best place at Steph Harold. Trying to think if there's anywhere else, but that's mostly it. And if there's an abortion that you see on TV, I want to hear about it. Tell Steph. Tell me don't, about it. Don't forget. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being on. This has been such a wonderful episode. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of your work and to chatting with you oh, more thanks. about this. And yeah, I'm really, really appreciative. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to chat with you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at Sex Ed with DB Podcast and on TikTok at Sex Ed with DB. See you next time. <laughs>